Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. Let's face it, the future is now. We're living in a connected cyber society, and we need to stop ignoring it or pretending that it's not affecting us. Join us as we explore how humanity arrived at this current state of digital reality and what it means to live amongst so much technology and data. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Black Cloak provides concierge cybersecurity protection to corporate executives and high net worth individuals to protect against hacking, reputational loss, financial loss, and the impacts of a corporate data breach. Learn more at blackcloak.io. BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. Marco. Sean. Have you, uh, have you seen my drone? I shut it down. <laughs> shut my drone down. <laughs> Not before. As soon as I saw it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, not before I uh, took some nice pictures, though, and uh, transferred yeah. them somewhere important. Well, I, I normally don't do that, but I recognize where your drone, your drone. So I said, you know, I, I'll go for it. <laughs> you, you knew my personal drone was being used for uh, uh, something nefarious. I, I was tracking you. I was very insightful. You. Very insightful. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, uh, I, once again, we started a little weird, and I think it's become our own signature here. But uh, I'm going to dig a, right away into the conversation because it's pretty relevant. Of course, I mean, I, I'm assuming all of the conversation we're doing are relevant. Otherwise, why are we doing it? But this one in particular is about cyber warfare and you know what's going on in the world right now. Unfortunately, by the world that probably closer than the new guys right now because I am in Europe and there is something going on here is not new um, and of course I'm talking about the, the U Ukraine and uh, and Russian war so uh, today Sean we're going to talk about society and cybersecurity we decided to go with the redefining society but it's going to touch a lot in cybersecurity well I think for me I mean and everything we talk about uh, starts with technology and and uh, technology can be used for good or evil. And the other side of that is protecting it. So that's the cybersecurity angle. And of course, all of that has an impact on society. And, and we're seeing technology being used uh, not just by nation states, but by individuals and groups of individuals. And that's why I picked the drone example. Um, but there's much, mm -hmm. much more to it right some of it is visible like a drone some of it isn't and uh yeah. I, I don't know at all i i'm certainly not monitoring <laughs> all the all the goings on there i i just see what's what's going on in the news but there are people who look at this stuff and pay attention and understand what it means to us as individuals as businesses as societies as as a world one such person has some insights that we're going to talk about today. Grant Gibson, thanks for joining us for uh, Redefining Society here on ITSB Magazine. 
Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great. Uh, it's a great conversation. It's it's an important conversation. It Absolutely certainly is certainly is, and um, yeah, it it impacts everybody in some way, right? Uh, this particular situation, um, but it goes beyond this war. And, and as we were talking earlier, uh, as we we're preparing for the conversation, we we can look back in history for game changing moments in life right and uh hopefully learn from some of them but uh maybe not because things things look different technology is different than uh, let's say world war ii or world world war one even um before we get into that though uh grant maybe a few words from you about uh who you are uh why you care about this, uh, what your role is in, in the world of technology and cybersecurity so folks know who, who they're hearing from today. Absolutely. My name is Grant Gibson. Uh, I, I, was, I was a military brat growing up, traveled around the world, ended up joining the military myself later in life, uh, and did, did a tour in the Marine Corps, went to Iraq and Afghanistan and, and did some things there. Uh, I think, I think, I think, I'm easily defined by the Nintendo Entertainment System. Uh, when I was when I was in my before I hit ten years old, sometime between second and third grade, Nintendo was a thing. My family bought a Nintendo. I fell in love with the Nintendo, and fell in love conversely with technology. And I grew up with it, and it was my favorite thing to receive for Christmas, and it was my favorite thing to tinker with. And then computers became popular and then the World Wide Web and the Internet. And even before that, there were dial-up BBSs and things. And, and, and I love technology as a whole. But at some point in my life, I realized the dangers of technology um, and how people were misusing them. And I became very fascinated with misuse of technology and how that was going to impact people's lives. So what I really focus on is cybersecurity now. And I really focus on how it impacts people's lives and people's businesses and, and what it means. Because... Sometimes we think of it as, oh, they hacked a computer network. What does that even mean? But in some small way or some big way, it generally impacts somebody's life, right? It touches them in the real world. And, and that's what I want to understand better. And that's what, that's what my research is about. And that's what my growth is about is, is, is figuring, figuring out how to deal with this going forward because it's only going to get more persuasive, more, more in your face over time. Yeah, I, I love that you went there because, I mean, I know you have a very deep knowledge in, in cybersecurity and cyber attack, and we're definitely going to go there. But the, the fact that you're, you're, you're talking about something that more and more, you can't ignore it anymore. That's, that's the point. You know, like uh, cybersecurity, when Sean and I started ITSP Magazine, we thought it was a lot of the tech talk. And this is like six years ago, and we, we realized we need to connect with society. And then it, all of a sudden, you just literally can't ignore it anymore because it's all over the news. And right before we started, and I want to start right from there, you mentioned that th this use of cyber warfare in this war right now is, is a very important, almost like unique moment in, in our society. So can, can you... Can you start right from that, that I think is the main topic of this conversation? Why is it so unique right now? Well, let's start with something that the Russians are dealing with. Russian, the Russian military is dealing with. It's caused them a lot of heartache. Uh, all the soldiers have phones, cell phones, and they all brought them with them, and they're all on Ukrainian networks. 
and they can't get off these phones, right? They're just, just like me and you every day, they need to check their phone multiple times a day and do something with it. Well, they're coordinating with the fellow soldiers. They're talking about what they're doing, what they're doing for lunch. They're, in some cases, they're on Tinder, trying to talk to people on Tinder and meet people and, and different things like this. They're doing what people do with phones, right? They're using their phones and they're communicating and they're talking with their coworkers and they're strategizing. Meanwhile, that's not encrypted communication like the military is used to. That's not secret information. It's taken us back to a day when people can tell what we're talking about. And so, so the rush is dealing with this thing where, where a lot of what their troops are doing and talking about and, and data is being leaked into the public view for Ukraine and, and another, I'm, I'm sure other nations as well. And it's being, and it's being exploited by the military. Um, we've never really dealt with that in war before. It's, it's not that cell phones have never had a presence, but not like this. Isn't that weird? Sorry, because it just kind of blew my mind a little bit that that they're allowed to do this. I mean, U.S. military, I'm assuming other corps or another country, would they allow that? Um, they, they, they try to restrict. First off, our military tries to restrict it. There's a rule in the military about making rules. And, and one of those rules is don't make a rule you can't enforce. <laughs> okay got it that's the problem with cell phones right I, I hate to use the word addiction and, and it's not really you know, addiction probably isn't the right word but it's the closest thing i can think to kind of talk about how important these things are to us right we have mm -hmm. to have them every day you tell someone for the next tell an army soldier in the united states for the next 18 months they can't use a cell phone well you wouldn't have an army you wouldn't have an army right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, screw it i'll pick a different job where i can use my phone so we, we try to restrict it and, and, and we do a much better job of training and education with the United States military to say, hey, there are things you do not talk about, right? There are things you do not talk about on a cell phone. You don't talk about where you are. You don't talk about what you're going to do. You don't talk about when you're going somewhere, right? You, th those are the kind of details you just don't talk about on the phone. And, and, and if you do and you have those conversations, you train and you, and you do that regularly, it's easier to control that within your, it's not perfect, right? There are people that still do. It's easier to control that. Plus, you give them good, solid encrypted communications to have those conversations. You give them another outlet to have those conversations and, and share that so that they can talk, so that they have an outlet. Make it easy, because if it's not easy, they'll go back to the cell phone, because cell phones are easy. But that's a challenge. I don't know if we started another ground assault today, like Russia has done, how well we'd have control over it. Mm. You know, 10 years ago when I was in, 15 years ago when I was in and deploying, we had good control of it because cell phones were new. They weren't that great. Mm. It was hard to get on net. It's not like you just took your net, your phone out there and hooked up to the network. That was a difficult task back then. Now it's easy. Um, and it. so I don't, I don't know if it'd be the same today for even for us, but we do a better job of training, certainly. But I imagine we'd encounter mm -hmm. problems. One, one thing I'm wondering is, so you made a point that they're on Ukrainian tele networks. Uh, telcos, right? So right. clearly somebody, some entity or more, one or more entities in Ukraine have access to that information. Um, I'm just wondering, I don't know if you have the answer to this or not, but who do they have the right to look at all the information? <laughs> does does war change the, the fact of is it right or not? Is there legal precedence to, to access that information? And I'm just thinking about here in the U.S., there's certainly uh, legal precedents here in the U.S. Yeah. at war or not, yeah. right? To 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 do that with warrants, right? That's that's our legal. You, you can get a warrant to do these things in, right. in these situations. Uh, when you're a sovereign state, you make the rules, though, right? Like who's who, whose rules? Whose rules yeah. are we talking about? And when you're when you're at war, certainly rules change. 
right? And, and we adapt to the war. When, yeah. you're, when your country's being invaded, from a Ukrainian perspective, their country's being invaded by a hostile actor for an illegitimate reason. The rules don't apply. You know, that's, yeah. that's the way they're going to look at it. And so how about the, yeah. the, the flip side of that? Uh, access to that network or those networks uh, from the Russian perspective. Well, so, certainly so they protecting don't. protecting it, right? Do, do they have, clearly, they, well, I don't know. Would they have the same level of access if they were to reach? No, I'm, I, I, I'm sure Russia has a good level of access into Ukrainian networks. I, I, I would be, I would be surprised if they didn't, if they hadn't had backdoors and loopholes. And maybe that's why they haven't shut down the telco system less about, less about them flexing their muscle and more about intelligence they're gathering. Right. Um, so I'm sure they have access into that and, and they shouldn't now that they, they shouldn't, but again, it, it's war. And the way you view a war is, uh, you know, uh, there, there's old sayings in warfare that go, the only, the only cheater is the person who lost, right? That's the only, that's, the, that's, that's the only cheating in war. And, and I'm sure that they view it that way, right? I'm sure everybody views it from their perspective that this is the way to do it because this is what's going to save lives, right? This will save our lives or this will save, this will save our soldiers' lives. And if, so we need to do this in order to save the lives because that's the most important thing here besides achieving victory. Um, right. And it is what it is. I mean, yeah, yeah, I'm sure that I'm sure Russians, Russians have access and I'm sure they don't. I'm sure they don't like, I'm sure they don't want Ukrainians spying on, spying on their soldiers, but I'm sure they expect it at this point. Right. right. So there, there is that. And then, then there is other, other aspect of the, the digital warfare. So what, what, what are the others? Sean was making fun about drone. I know I've read news about uh, civilian hackers that are taking actions. And that's, that's pretty, pretty new as well. So what, what other highlight can you, can you bring to the table here? Well, that's that that's a great that's a great way to segue into it. Is you know those those civilians took their drones out and quartered with the army to do uh, ground strikes against tanks, and so people on people on foot foot were able to destroy dozens of tanks, right? Uh, because of the civilian drones, and, and and that's unheard of in modern warfare. Um, but you know everything. Russia has been launching denial of service attacks, uh, malware attacks. Um, they, they've, they, everything they've, they've tried to, they've tried to launch attacks against Ukrainian power grid. Fortunately, they were thwarted this time in the past. They've been successful. They weren't so successful this time, uh, but they're doing all these things, uh, disinformation campaigns. We should probably come back and spend a little more time on disinformation later. Cause that's huge here, but there's also on the, on the reverse side, the Ukrainians, they've, they've in anonymous, the hacking group. Uh, kind of declared war on Russia, a side war on Russia for cyber warfare. And they've been very successful at getting hold of their satellite assets. And military people rely on satellites to communicate when other forms of communication go down, right? Because they, they can communicate pretty much anyone in the world. That that was huge. Uh, but but the, but the Anonymous was able to bring that down. And 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 that's what we've kind of seen here. That's kind of, I think that's one of the big takeaways is is every 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 asset you can think of that somebody could hack? They're trying to hack in some way, shape, or form for purpose. But when this all started, if you if you if you logged into your hacker groups, if you got into the darknet and started looking at the chatter and things, here you, you heard a lot of hackers wanting to take up arms. They were picking sides. They were either picking the Russian side or the Ukrainian side, and and you saw this army of individuals that was doing this, not in concert, not not in coordination, not in not in a group environment. They're just saying, "Hey, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to I'm going to attempt to do this, and and I'm going to take up arms against Russia." 
and, and from all over the world, including Americans, American hackers are doing this totally illegal, right? You can't, you, Americans don't have the right to hack Russian assets, right? They could, they could be taken to court for it. They could receive, you know, they could, they could receive repercussions for it, but they, they didn't think about it. They didn't care. They weren't worried about it. Just took up arms, right? It was just a, it was just a crazy scenario to sit there and just watch the sheer volume of people that were, that were invested in this and, and were going to take action on it which opens up every attack vector, right? Be it the, be it ransomware, phishing, be it, uh, be it trying to take control of systems and install back doors. Um, you know, all of those things were on the table. They were going after banks, hospitals, just, just anything you could think of. And, and it was, it, it, it was and is a dangerous time to be an organization with network facing assets. It really is. Now, you mentioned back doors and I want to, I want to get your thoughts on this because even before, quote unquote, the war started, I had some conversations with some folks that said they saw an increase level of scanning. And the, 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 basically the context of it was, there's, why is there so much scanning uh, of networks and systems and, and other assets? Uh, is it to confirm what they already know to get an updated view? Uh, is it to find new information? I'm, I'm just, what I'm trying to figure out is right. War starts. That's not the What's, moment that, that cyber war starts, right? Cyber war probably started months, years ago, oh. preparing for these activities, right? Yeah. But, but uh, operational readiness is a thing in, in the military organizations and it's, and, and it spreads beyond that, but operational readiness is it's the idea is that you've taken, you've got all the knowledge, you've got all the data, you've got all the knowledge, you've got all the people and they're all trained and they're practiced and they're ready to go. Right. And that's what we found out, you know, what there had been preparation, but operational ready wasn't there. It wasn't ready to go. Right. We had data and we had people that know how to use the data and we had tools to exploit the data, but they weren't practiced. They weren't, they, they weren't a well-oiled machine. And and so and so and so what you saw is is this act coming, just getting their act together. Basically, I want you to think of it like this. Let's say that there's a new car. That there's a new car on the model. Let's call it let's some fake car. Let's call it the um, the Astroverse, right? There's this new car called the Astroverse, and they sell two hundred fifty thousand over the next two years, right? And we find out that if you take a magnet and you hold it just below the key entry hole, that that door will pop open. And it'll allow, and it'll disable then you can start the car and you can steal the car, right? And so this is some new hacking thing that they figured out with just this magnet in the right spot, they can do that. Well, now we know that there's an exploit, right? And we know how to conduct the exploit and we've got a proof of concept. We test it and it works and we say, okay, now we can steal these cars as, as hackers. Well, you still have other problems. Where are the cars? Are there security around the cars that are gonna detect us? Right. In order. So what we have to do is we have to locate the cars. We have to stake out the cars and see if there's security systems that can identify us. We have to take precautions. Maybe we need to wear masks and gloves and things like that so we don't get caught doing it. And there's all these other things that have to happen. So basically what they had. So basically what that scanning was, was they were they, they knew there were vulnerabilities out there. They were scanning to see where these vulnerabilities are, who these vulnerabilities are they could pull off. And they were also looking to see if they had good security things in place to see if they get away with it. Right. How, how likely am I going to get caught doing this? Um, because I don't want to get caught, right? Because I don't want it to jeopardize other systems that I might be using. And that's does, does, and that's what that was. Does does the sorry, this might be a little bit of jump somewhere not connected, but I'm just wondering, does the order 
And is there an order of warfare tactics? Does physical military activity is that the first order, and then and then cyber is the the, the follow up if if that's not succeeding, or is it integrated? Or I'm just thinking, why put people in harm's way if you could do all this with cyber in the first place? Well, well first off. Why not negotiate our differences instead of warfare, right, is, is a great place uh, course, to start with yeah. that conversation. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. You win that one. <laughs> <laughs> but that fails, right? Maybe maybe it didn't happen or maybe it just failed. Maybe we did have these conversations and, and it failed and, and that's what ended up here. Um, you know, that that's a thing. Traditional military strategy would probably say uh, that cyber warfare needs to come first, not because it might save lives necessarily that that wouldn't be their motivation there. Their motivation is, is that's a secondary condition, right? We want to save lives, but, but the point is to win, right? That's the point. And so when you look at that, having, having good cyber warfare in place gives you intelligence, right? We know what's going on. We know where things it allows us to plan disinformation. It allows us to take control and monitor things. It also allows us to disrupt, to disrupt their ability to respond. Right. And that's just as important when we do launch an attack, can we, create chaos in the cyber networks that keeps them distracted. So they may not even know that we're attacking, right? So, and, and, and even if they do know, can they respond to that attack? Can they organize and get people to people there to, to try to stop us from attacking? These are, these are things that traditional cyber warfare says you should do, right? You can also disrupt the economy, you know, and, and, and do other things and disrupting economies, you know, goes back to world war two and blitzkriegs and all these other things where they were trying to disrupt everything about the city before the troops went in. Didn't really happen like we thought it would in Ukraine. Right. And why didn't it happen like we thought it was? Was it was it deterrence? Maybe was was the United States and China sitting there by the back channels telling Russia, hey, if you launch a cyber attack, we're going at it. Or did they say we'll launch a nuclear weapon? Why didn't that happen? We don't know. We may never understand fully. Um, but but I imagine there was some kind of communications like that said, hey, there's red lines. And if you cross those red lines we're going to launch completely against you. And, 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 and that's right. Cyber attacks are very destructive. You know, we, we think of them, we think of them as somebody got my social security number, but when you shut down water, when you poison water plants, when you shut down gas pipelines, when you do those things, they have very destructive real world impacts. We have to deal with that. And, and I imagine that's what happened here. I imagine somebody went to Russia and said, listen, if you do this, B and C will also occur. And they probably said, mm. well, we're not going to cross that red line. You know, Grant, because you went here, I, I was reading an article that actually a friend of mine wrote. He's a, a professor in international relationship here in uh, in Florence, where I am right now. And he, he was arguing on this on this article that he wrote that you shouldn't really make a difference when you talk about cyber warfare or war, meaning cyber warfare is part of the war it's just one of those tools that now you have in your toolkit and you're going to use it and and he was it wasn't like making a point just to make a point it was because the media was using this cyber warfare like if it was a a war on its own you know you know what i mean right. i love your opinion like it was it. separate yes like it's a separate war i think your professor's right i think i think we shouldn't have done that but I think for the last 20 years, we've been doing that. And we've set up this expectation right. yeah. that it's different. Cyber war is okay. War is not okay. Right? That's what right. we've but been you, saying. But you just said that, it, oh, as we know in, in this industry, if you, if you poison a plant without going there, without doing something 
you you're still killing people. That's it's still war, right? I mean, that's right. That's why. So that's that's listen. As confusing as cyber is for us on a day to day basis, it's yeah. that confusing for for governments to understand yeah. and and that's why we need professors like your friend to kind of do that big picture thinking <laughs> and think these think these things out so they can so they can create narratives that the government will listen to and say hey that's that's what we need to do here we need to treat cyber warfare like warfare right and have the same kind of responses to it um mm. but that's not that is that's certainly not where we are today right we, we certainly mm. treat it differently and that's why we see so much more of it it's the same thing with the hackers that are that are you know a hacker can shut down a hospital and cause and cause people to die. Right? That's not their intention. They, they want to make money. They want to cause disruption. And you know who knows. But but their intention is probably not to make people die. But they do. And mm -hmm. and and that's reality. And that's because they don't look at it. They're not looking it through the lens of I've got somebody's life in my hands. They're looking through the lens of I'm here to make a quick buck. It's it, it's that it, it's that notion of how we view cyber. We view we view cyber as uh, we view cyber as this as this eth ethereal thing. Right, we we can't touch it. Yeah. We can't see it. It's it just it's just out there, um, and and while that may very be true, <laughs> the 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 consequences of it are very real and impact us in real ways. And and that's the isn't, isn't that the problem that we have beside wars, like in educating people and telling you know the two factor authentication, and you know you lock your door. But you don't lock your account, uh, right? It's, yeah, yeah. Because back there, true words were never spoken. You lock your door, <laughs> but it's exactly. like your Netflix. You just give your Netflix password. It's like a, like your Netflix password. You give out to everybody. Imagine you just gave everybody the key to your house. Exactly. So you come and watch. Come, TV. come in my living room and watch TV whenever. <laughs> uh, Grant, let let let's go back in in uh, in what you mentioned about uh, you know misinformation. Um, Propaganda. I mean, we, we see a lot of that. We've seen it since forever. I mean, going back in time, you know, in Second World War, First World War, one of the, the tactics was to use the the, the, the radio waves and, and go talk to people in the other country. You, you couldn't really stop that, not as much as you can do a, a private internet or something like that. So let, let's get into your perspective and some you know some some knowledge to share about how um, this misinformation and and has been going on. Well, it it as much as anything else can win wars. Disinformation can win wars. Uh, first off, Russia's own population. Russia Russia sees this war very differently than the outside world, right? They 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 think, hey, the evil empire is is Ukraine, and. We're we're in there to save ourselves from them, and if it weren't for the evil United States and NATO, we'd already have won this war. And but instead, our gas prices are going up, and all these things are going up, and we're having all these issues, right? If 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 they couldn't control that narrative, this war wouldn't last very long. I don't think. I don't think that the Russians would put up with the with with inflation and other things that they've been experiencing. If if they were looking at it from if they got if they had the opportunity to look at it from our perspective, at least a lot less of them would, right? Maybe some of them would, maybe some of them wouldn't, but a lot less of them would because Russia controls that narrative internally. That's how they win the war. So it's not just disinformation external to your country, right? Russia control disinformation internally uh, is creating a political environment where they can do this because again, if if they had other perspectives, I don't know they get away with it. What they're getting away with, mm -hmm. but at the same time, you know, when we talked about uh, at the beginning of this. 
all the hackers were talking about, hey, which side am I going to pick? Well, you better believe Russia was out there with disinformation trying to explain to hackers why they should join Russia's side with the same thing they're telling their people, right? That Ukraine provoked this. Ukraine is the evil empire. Ukraine is the one that you need to that you need to side against because they're they're out to get Russia and they've been out to get Russia in this the other thing. Right. They, they were out there in those hack groups. They were absolutely out in their hack groups trying to convince them to side with Russia. Right. And they're doing that with other countries around the world. It's not just, you know, it's it's, it's not just the United States that, that they're worried about or Americans that they're worried about. They're out in every country. They're trying to convince countries. They're trying to convince businesses. They're trying to convince, trying to convince Ukrainians to be scared. Right. So to let, give let's, up. let's let's talk about words are one thing. Right. Somebody can say something. You might even write something on a website or put it through a message somehow evidence i'll say evidence is different um so pictures and audio and and i don't know we we, we've had conversations around deep fakes are you seeing any any signs of that so beyond beyond just the words but things that kind of support the message not not a lot. I mean, you, you see some pictures, but that's the thing. A, a picture, you know, we, if, if you look at a picture of some people that have been uh, that have been accosted in, in Ukraine, are they Russian or are they Ukrainian? Is the aggressor Russian or Ukrainian? And 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 how hard is it to convince somebody one or the other? Right. They, they could just, the problem is the same image can be used to both sides to tell a story that supports it, just like the words can be used. So that's the problem with evidence in today's society, because, yeah, can somebody go in there and prove that, hey, those are actually Ukrainian uniforms that they're wearing and and it was taken at a geographical location that's inside Ukraine. Somebody can go and do those kind of things. But we make our decisions long before that happens. Right. Is, 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 is what we know from social media. We make our decisions pretty quickly and we don't wait for the proof to come out or the or, or the or the integrity to come through to, to tell us whether that's whether that's got because you're right. Evidence is important in a court of law. It, it, it's everything in a court of law, right? But in a court of public opinion, you know, ev- ev- evidence is only good if it supports your theory. If your if your theory isn't it goes the other way, then you don't care about that evidence, and that's that's the world we live in. Yeah. So I'm sure. wondering. I guess the, this idea that that information is there. Well, I guess my point is trust, right? We we in the world of cybersecurity, we talk about trust between businesses there and businesses and consumers. We're now raising the question of trust. Who who is trustworthy? What is trustworthy? Well, let me ask uh, amongst you. ourselves, amongst our our own people, amongst our friends and let foes me ask you. around the world. Yeah, go ahead. Who do you trust? I trust. Who do you, you teach right? your kids to trust? I don't trust Marco. I don't, but I do trust you. Fair enough. And that's <laughs> that's what it. That's that's I think a longer term conversation that that we're going to, you know, that we're going to have with, with our progeny uh, over, over generations, probably not one generation thing. It's probably several generations of conversation about trust and who do you trust and how does someone earn your trust? And is it the person with the best graphics and the best image and the best messaging and the most articulate? Is that, is that who you trust? Or is it the person that has shown you time and time again, that they care about you and that your best interest in the heart and they're not going to make bad decisions and, and, and social media and the rise of the internet and instant communications and all these things has given us the ability to trust people instantly without any background. Um, 
And, and we're going to be dealing with that for a very long time before we as parents look at our progeny and say, who do you trust? And that's a conversation every year. You know, when it comes to, we have some of that conversation, right? When you, we talk about meeting strangers on the internet, you know, don't give them your address, right? Don't tell me those are, those are, but it's deeper than that. It's, it's a bigger thing about trust that, you know, do you trust them to tell you the difference between right and wrong? Do you trust them to lead you into making good decisions? Uh, because YouTubers don't do that, right? They, they're, they're into what's ever flashy. They're not trying to lie to you. They're just, this is what's flashy. Do the flashy thing, right? Social media, it's all about, you know, how I can get the most likes. This is what the world looks like through my lens because it gets me likes and maybe maybe monetary at some point. Um, but the reality is when you when, when you interact with people in the real world and you're not online, you're not in those places, you know, you they're not always positive. Some of there's negative and there's positive and you, and you learn boundaries and, and, and you learn how to trust people and not trust people and make good decisions. And we don't do that in the digital world very well yet. And, and I think that's something we got to figure out. It's a scale yeah. issue. We, we have to blindly trust to absorb it all. <laughs> well, that, that's the thing. I mean, I had this conversation with psychologists and, and talking about this. And, and especially for kids, like you, you just don't have time to think. I mean, you're there. You need to make it. Am I going to like it? Am I going to share this thing based on a headline? Am I going to share it based on the fact that my friend said that or somebody I assume is the friend? you just don't go and check the news, right? You don't read three newspapers and see if all three are kind of saying the same thing, like maybe, you know, back in my days before the internet, <laughs> we used to do it. It's completely different. Um, I mean, I know this is a conversation can go forever, but I love to wrap this by going back to the, to the cyber warfare and say, you know, you said this is a pivotal moment I mean, we're seeing a lot of things I've never seen before in, in war. What's next, in your opinion? I mean, because technology is not going to stop. I mean, the next thing may be something more than a drone, maybe more artificial intelligence, actually, you know, androids <laughs> going and fight this war and robots and stuff like that. I'm going there, war. but, you know, I, I think we can. We can go there to imagine a world after this. Well, imagine somebody hacked Tesla and turned all their cars into weapons because they control their driving, right? And, and, and how many other cars are getting that capability and, and, and what a fleet of weapons you have right there. Um, that, that's where this is going. Technology is not going anywhere. Every time you turn around, technology is in your face. You can't, probably can't exist for more than an hour or two without running into technology if you really try hard, right? And so it's not going anywhere. It's going to be here forever. Um, as, as nations, we, we need to have kind of a World War II moment where we come together and we say, hey, what is cyber and what do we consider out of bounds? Where are the, what are the boundaries? Right. And, and have that discussion and, and figure it out and get, you are not going to get every country on board, but man, if you can get enough countries to agree, then, then you've got something and you're somewhere where you can, where you can have some reliability. Because every time some a nation gets upset, another nation, we don't need to have the cell phones going down, or the gas being shut off, or the or the gas prices skyrocketing, or all that. We need stability, right? It's very unstable. N nations need to get out. They need, they they need to figure it out. They need to get out there, put their best foot forward, and figure out what does cyber mean in international norms, and how do we treat it as societies? I think they'll do that. 
I think I think I think it'll take a long time, but I think they'll I think they'll start having those conversations and try to figure out and deterrence, right? They'll, they'll figure out deterrence. As far as us as individuals, man, we've just got we we've got a lot of thinking to do and a lot of getting used to it. It's just so new and interface. You know, you think it's twenty years old. Cell phones are fifteen years old, twenty almost twenty years old. Think to yourself, man, that's an old technology. It's brand new. Nobody's figured it out yet. You know, a hundred years from now, they'll have the, they'll have technology figured out. They'll have new problems. And the, te- and the uh, cell phones and instant communication have created will change. But, but we still need to figure out how to handle it in, in generationally, how our generation is going to deal with it, how businesses are going to deal with it. For the same reason as the nations, it's stability, right? We need to know that we can stably live our lives. We can stably conduct our business. We can, oh, our children, uh, you know, our children can stably grow up without fears from technology uh, because there are fears that stem from that that they deal with on a daily basis. We need that. But most importantly, you know, I like the title of your podcast, Redefining Society. Society as a whole needs to come together and 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 think about this, right? You're not society's not going to agree on it. I don't think there's ever been a time where society as a whole stood up and said, yes, we all agree on this one thing. Um, <laughs> but there have been plenty of times where society stood up and said, hey, we need to have a real discussion about this and get some facts out there and talk about it because it's going to affect us. And and that's where we are. Yeah. And so maybe a final observation or point, maybe your thoughts on this as we, as we close grant. So you, you talked about the phones, right? Right. Don't, don't put a, don't create a rule you can't enforce. And, and you talk about, the definition and the rules of cyber warfare and, and nations coming together and not all of them are going to agree. I, I guess even though it's somewhat localized uh, at the moment, for me, all rules are out, right? With this war, we, we should, this should not be happening, right? Based on agreements we've had in the past. So for me, we don't need no stinking rules because they're not going to be followed. Like you said. <laughs> so I, I guess my, my question is, are we forcing ourselves into multiple societies where we, where we follow our own rules and, and, and really hunker down and, and protect ourselves from, from others that, uh, and I don't know, I may, may not make any, be making any sense here, but I'm just wondering, we had these global rules where as a global society, we kind of operated for a while. Those have been blown up. Now what? <laughs> Well, I like to look at it as Russia has tested our system. Russia has tested our rules and tested our norms. And it's going to be really important in how we respond, because if we don't respond and if we say, okay, this was a minor thing and it was okay, don't make a big deal out of it. Then we're saying to everybody, that's the norm. You can do these things and get away with them. If we respond too aggressively, you know, A, we're going to get the message out here that you can't do this, but we're also going to create some serious upheaval in one of the major superpowers of the world, although their military uh, superpowerness is, is, is being, uh, is being questioned because they haven't won this war yet. Right. So it's people are saying, well, are they really a superpower militarily? I think they are. And I think they should not be undercounted there, but at the same time uh, they need to have some consequences and the world needs to stand up and say, this is not okay. Right. That's, it's like, it's no different than silly. International politics is very much like dealing with children. If you don't stand up and put a consequence in front of the problem, it's going to continue, right? There has to be somebody to at least sit down and say, no, you can't do this. How, 
how aggressive that consequence should be is very debatable and is going to be very opinionated based on who you ask. But there needs to be something. Something needs to happen to say we're not going to do this and set set up uh, set up deterrence. And that's and 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 that's where we look at this. We do not live in a lawless world, um, but we do live in a world where the laws are tested, and mm-hmm. how we respond to that's what's important. Yeah, and I, I think to my final thought, it's it's exactly this. I mean, you you say is a is a is a moment that is unique in our history. And I think it's unique before it sucks because people are dying. There's no questions about it. It's easy to say, well, maybe we can learn a lesson. I mean, I wish we could have learned it in a different way, obviously. And, uh, and we all agree. I mean, you said the, be- the best way would be not to be in a war. So, that, you know, let, let's, let's discuss that. Let's do in a way that, you know, we negotiate before and and that is that moment of, you know, flexing the muscles. Like you, you mentioned, the cyber war before the war. Maybe that's enough. Maybe that is not. But maybe at the end of the day, this is that wake a moment that unfortunately happened. But it can make us think about this globalization versus the fear and going back into, you know, states and countries and close the internet down because so we cannot be affected. I don't think we can go back there. And that's why redefining society is about, and I say this a lot, Sean's probably gonna say, I know he's going there. <laughs> we kind of need to re- renegotiate a new social contract because it, you, need to, it, you need each other and, and we need to live and learn how to live with each other again. And technologies change the rules. So um, I, I, don't, I don't think we've, we got to a point that we have a conclusion here. But, we have uh, the answer, Marco. The, the answer is network segmentation. Uh, <laughs> let, 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 me, let me back you up for a second. Microsoft and other people are hard at work on this universal translation, right? Where I can speak into a yeah. microphone and you hear your language on the other end, yep. right? Uh, it's going to be really hard. Uh it's going to be really hard when you, we have that ability to speak to anybody in any language at any time with no barriers to not get to know these people better and to not figure out how to work to better work together better as nations. Because right now they're numbers, they're distant. We don't see them. We can't talk to them. We don't understand them. But when we do understand them, man, that that's going to, that's going to make us stop and reflect. And, and then, uh, sorry to get off on a tangent, but you took me there. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I agree. I mean, the fact that you speak a language, it doesn't mean you understand the culture. And that may just simply be not enough to communicate properly. You, you really need to, I mean, you need the language. That's the medium. But if you don't understand where their background and where they come from and, and be open to diversity and, and, and all of that, yeah, you're still, you're still going to have wars. You can, you're going to scream in the same language, but you're still going to have wars. So. Uh, it, for me, it just goes back to the scale. Now that's even more people that we have to uh, hear from and, and listen to and understand and, tr- and trust. <laughs> <All right>. <laughs> trust. <laughs> more, twist, more trust decisions to make. Well, it, this has been uh, super fascinating for me. Yep. Um, yeah, twisting my brain around a little bit here. And an uh, important conversation, of course, one that uh, doesn't stop here. And certainly I'm not the best to, uh, to keep it going. But there are others in government, in, uh, 
in research and academia and uh, obviously people in military and everybody who is impacted by this needs to think about how this all plays out and, and the role they can have in helping to shape the society that we want in a way that, uh, that uh, yeah, doesn't, doesn't have trust issues. <laughs> so, all right. We'll see well, where we go with that. Yeah. This was a great conversation. Again, a lot of thinking. We hope that's what people are doing right now as, we, as they listen to what we, we talked about. I sure have a lot more questions in my head. And, uh, and and if people want to read on the notes, the notes of this podcast, uh, Grant, if you have some uh, resources, numbers you want to share or point somewhere, please share with us so that people can actually click on that stuff and learn more. I hope uh, that that's what they want to do. And until the next conversation of Redefining Society, we thank you very much. And uh, maybe, yeah, feel free to join back again with us anytime you want. BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. Black Cloak provides concierge cybersecurity protection to corporate executives and high net worth individuals to protect against hacking, reputational loss, financial loss, and the impacts of a corporate data breach. Learn more at blackcloak.io. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share itspmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.